This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Good evening, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead, number 104, for Monday, February the 18th, 2013. Hmm. How's it going, Jay? What's new? Uh, it's family day here in uh, in Ontario. That is the day we're going to talk about at the top of the show today. Oh, I beat you to it. That's fine. That's fine. Happy family day to you. It's well, a statutory holiday here in uh, February, and it coincides with President's Day. It's in not the statutory. States. It's civic holiday. Uh, sorry, you're right. Civic holiday, because not all the provinces get it. Right. Uh, and in, in fact, fact, we got it because the provinces had more. The other provinces had more civic holidays than uh, than we did. So. Yeah. We got a new one. Other provinces have had this family day for a longer, like BC, I think, and out west they've had it for longer than us. So they decided to give us the same holidays that everybody else gets so we'd stop complaining. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Something like that. It coincides with President's Day in the States, so happy President's Day to any American listeners. Yep. Which means the entire, almost the entire continent is off work today. Nice. At least people who get those holidays off, (laughs) (laughs) I figure. Not everybody does. (laughs) No. So happy family day to you. We uh, sat around the house pretty much. Uh, Kids went outside for a little bit today, played in the snow, and uh, that was how we celebrated. Yeah, we, what did we do? We sat around the house, we uh, took a nap, uh, watched TV, and uh, went to Harvey's for a hamburger. Ooh, Good Canadian holiday. Nice Harvey's Canadian hamburger. Uh, Okay. Um, I got Frings. You know what frings are? Half fries, half onion half rings. Half fries, half onion rings. Their onion, their onion rings are decent. They are decent. You know, I, 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 I don't, I can't eat a whole package of their, or a whole serving of their onion rings. And really, I can't eat a whole serving of their french fries. But give me frings, I polish off the whole thing. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Harvey's is, if you've watched um, How I Met Your Mother, that's yep. been featured on that show, along with Tim Hortons, our another Canadian staple. <laughs> oh my God, and it's roll up the rim time. Oh, is that coming? That's it, happening? I again? saw a roll up the rim cup today. I'm so excited. It's my second favorite time of the year next to Christmas. Yeah. You never win anything, though, do you? I win donuts and, and coffees. And I've won that sort of stuff. I was going to say hot dogs there for a second, but <laughs> I've never, ever won a hot dog at Tim Hortons. No, if you did, you'd probably be in the wrong place. <laughs> I'd be in the wrong place because they do not sell hot dogs. No, they Although do I've not. never asked, no. to be quite honest. And they sell enough weird stuff that maybe one day. Maybe, maybe one day. Maybe one day. Uh, All righty, so happy Family Day and happy President's Day. We got a couple other, um, I guess, sort of housekeeping-type things to go over before we get into the meat of this this show. Sure, sure. The first one is, I just want to talk a little bit, a a minute, for a minute here about AMC's Talking Dead TV show versus our voicemail line. Right. So... In versus, you mean as uh, in competition with? Yes, exactly. (laughs) So this podcast is called The Talking Dead. Their show is called Talking Dead. Yep. Note the difference. Most people don't seem to be able to do that. And uh, I understand the word the is short and it's three letters, so I don't blame people for getting confused. And usually it's irrelevant. Uh, Usually it is irrelevant, exactly. We do our thing, they do their thing. But recently we've been getting more and more calls to our voicemail line, the Zomb line, um, which are actually from people intending to call the AMC show. Now, most of them come in during Talking Dead because it's a live show. Uh, but last night, we got over 400 calls wow. for Chris Hardwick on AMC's Talking Dead. Do they, uh, do they post the phone number on the show, like on the screen? Yes, and Say- he says it too. 
of course. Right. And so these people are not seeing or hearing that. They're actually searching for Talking Dead, coming up with something that points to our phone number. And That's call right. It. That's right. They're com- they're searching for Talking Dead. Maybe our Google ranking has gone up right lately. I think we've always been pretty close to the top when you search Talking Dead, although AMC's Talking Dead is number one, right. strictly because they're a national TV show. Well, yeah. Um, but for some reason, people, I guess, are searching and coming up with us and calling us instead. So last week, we only had about 95 calls, which was semi-manageable, but not very. This week, we had over 400. Wow. So something changed. And, you know, 400 calls, I just can't deal with every uh, Sunday night, weeding no. through, looking for valid calls for us. So um, here's here's what we're going to do, unfortunately. the Our Zomb line will be closed to messages on Sunday nights between 10 p.m. and midnight. Right. So that's during the uh, Talking Dead broadcast and the hour after it, just because... Most of those 400 calls came in that time period, if you can believe it or not. Right, right, right. Um, You can still call in during the 9 p.m. Walking Dead premiere broadcast. So that hour, if you want to call in on a commercial or, you know, have something to say, you can still do it then. But we're going to be shutting down messages every Sunday night at 10 for, for two hours. Right. Just because there's no way I can spend, you know, uh, once one night a week going through 400 messages. I just can't do it. Right. And none of the calls during that time frame f- were for us. L- last night, not one of those 400 were for us. Okay. We got some after that during the day today and so on. Um, and of course, last during the throughout the week, we got some. But none of those 400 plus were for us. So those people, many of them probably aren't listening. So the people that are listening, you guys will know that the, the line will be closed during that time. So just keep that in mind if you want to give us a call. you got the whole rest of the week to do it. Right. So, well, this is sad, but necessary, I guess. Necessary, yeah. Um, now, you had a really good idea a few minutes ago just before we started recording here. Do you want to tell people what it was? I don't remember it. What, <laughs> the, what was the idea? Well, our, we have a toll-free line. Yeah. But you oh says, right! You we said, I, say, I suggested we switch it to a one nine hundred number during that time period and charge and, fifty and cents a call. Fifty cents a call. I think that'd be great. We would make two hundred bucks <laughs> right there. Not a terrible idea. <laughs> However, we would be taking advantage of people. Yes, it, you know, I, I felt guilty slightly after that. I'm like, if we actually did that, we'd be uh, scamming these people. Essentially, is what that's what right. Happened. And I and I'm, and some kind of governing body would probably come after us. Probably. When you're making money off of something like that, there's probably somebody out there who'd be like, no, you can't do that. Uh, Now, then again, we are not, um, you know, we're not enticing these people to call us. They're just doing it of their own free will. Yeah. So anyhow, um, just before we move on from that, I I thought I'd run through a couple of the – because I listen to most of them, right? I don't listen to the entire call. Right. But I have a feeling sort of now for what the most common questions are. Oh, cool. Out of 400 and of the previous weeks. So I've got a list here just just for fun, just oh. so everyone knows. All right. Statistics. Nothing statistical about this oh. other than just my feeling through listening. I'm like, oh, I heard that one four times earlier and I heard here it is again and so on. So nothing official here. Okay. But what people are calling about mostly is what happened to Morgan. Right. That's one. What caused the zombie outbreak? Everyone wants to know that. What will cure the zombie outbreak? Yep. They want to know that. That's often the two parts of the same question, too. Um, often a lot of questions about zombie babies, and of course, specifically <laughs> specifically Lori's baby, and if it was a zombie and it ate its way out of her and things like that. A lot of people want to talk about that. Right. Um, 
weirdly, a lot of kids call, like nine, ten-year-olds, things like that. I don't know what they're doing watching The Walking Dead, or if it's just their parents thinking it'll be cute if their kid calls. I don't know. But you get a right. lot of kids phoning. Um, uh, a fair number of people who just want to call up and say something sexist or racist or something like that. Oh, lovely. Clearly, they're never going to get on the, the show. They just think they should do that. And then... Uh, uh, we got. A, I got a couple, or I heard a couple asking why Chris Hardwick's Adam's apple is so big. Oh, <laughs> so uh, uh, that, I, I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. No, we really don't. But those are the typical sort of questions we get. Um, a lot of people making zombie sounds too, right? Who just call and make zombie sounds. So right. Not very helpful. Um, they so could be of any age. They really could. Yeah, they could. So, anyways, uh, if there was any confusion, please know that our number is one eight six six four eight three nine six six two. And we have nothing to do with AMC's Talking Dead show other than having the name before they did. Right. One more thing before we move on here, and that is something we want to just mention briefly today. Okay. I've been talking with Jason from the Walking Dead cast, Mm -hmm. our sort of one of our podcast friends. And he's got this great idea to do a Walking Dead series finale party. That'd be awesome. Now, we're not talking season, not talking season three, we're talking series. So whenever right. the show ends, could be season four, could be season 14. Or 21. Season 21. Season 21. We'll all be in our 60s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It'll be like The Simpsons. Well, we will anyways. Uh, <laughs> boy, that's, that's, uh, that worries me Moving a on. <laughs> um, uh, a series finale. So there's nothing planned right yet other than the idea, but we wanted to throw it out there just so we could let people know, get the, ro- get the ball rolling. It'll be... Somewhere in some location, a big city somewhere, we're going to partner, you know, together to plan this thing. Maybe get some other Walking Dead podcasters on board, um, you know, actors from the show, anyone, if we can do it. And and hopefully it'll be really, really fun. So no details yet, but we decided that we'd, uh, we'd throw it out there already and just sort of uh, update listeners as we go along and and plan this thing it could be years away well right? hopefully it is years away yeah exactly but i think it would be fun too i think we'd all get together have a party i don't know do something get a we'll get a big venue screen the finale yeah. you know you know meet everybody and i think it'd be really really cool that so would be fun it's gonna i think primarily be planned by jason over yep. there on the walking uh, dead cast but uh, we'll be involved heavily and um promoting it and and be there and it's going to be awesome. So it's going to be an unknown agenda in an unknown location at an unknown time. That's right. Yes. The only thing we know right now is that we want to do it, and yeah. we will hopefully screen the season series finale right. for The Walking Dead. Yeah. And We'd it could to, be season the, 21. Uh, we'll have to get licensing to do that, you know. <laughs> well, no. We just have to work in conjunction with AMC. Well, yeah. We need licensing permission to screen it for an audience. There you anyway, go. Anyway, this is all nuts and bolts details that uh, I'm sure we'll have 20-odd uh, years to iron out. The idea is we're going to have some time to figure it out. Yep. So there you go. <clears throat> okay, with all that stuff out of the way, I think we can get moving on our recap of last night's episode, which was titled Home. All right, so the lettuce of the uh, of the episode is over, and the first slice of bread is all done. Yep. So now we're into the meat of the episode. We're into the meat. And uh, you let us know when we're through the meat and into the second slice of bread or... The cheese. Or the cheese or the... the cheese. (laughs) Cheese is on the other side. The cheese. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely... And right before the end, we'll have the mayo of the episode. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) What kind of meat is this? I don't know. It's just a meat sandwich. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Okay, home. Here we go. So we open with Rick on the prison bridge. Yep. That's the bridge spanning two 
wings of the prison looking through binoculars. He sees Michonne hanging out at the overturned truck down by the gate. I assume that's where she lives now. She must live in that truck, yeah. yeah. Well, why would she be in the truck with her (laughs) katana? I don't know. Keeping watch. Just they don't want her inside, so it's like go hang out in the field, so she goes in the truck. That's it. I think she lives there. Yeah, I think so. She seemed to hang around it a lot this episode. Yeah. Um, she but, didn't move from there. Well, she did a little bit. She did. She was inside at one point and then later again outside, but yes. we'll, we'll get to that. So he's scanning around the area, and um, after looking around a bit, he sees Ghost Lori in the wedding dress standing at the graves, Yep. Um, the three graves that are there. And uh, so I got, I got an email here from Alicia from the internet. This was about uh, this was about last week. We were talking, you know, whether or not that was actually Sarah Wayne Callies. Right, right, right. Apparently, it was. Yeah. Here's what Alicia had to say. She says it was Sarah Wayne Callies as Ghost Lori. There's an interv- interview with her on EW.com where she indicates that they had her back for one day, seven hours total. Also, it should not be Zombie Lori. Sarah said they brought out uh, good makeup that had not been used on the show before in order to make her beautiful for the scene. And then they obscured her face. Yep. That was last episode. It was kind of weird that they would obscure, obscure her face in that case. It was a little bit weird, but they clearly shot that scene and this scene that we're getting to right now on yeah. the same day. So I guess they made her all up, dressed her up pretty, and then shot it all at once. Rick goes out to her, but just as he gets there, she disappears. Yep. And reappears outside the prison fence. Yeah. Um, he goes out to the fence and catches up with her on this little wooden bridge that's going over the stream nearby. And uh, this time they actually interact. She touches his face. Okay, I have two two things. Well, actually three in this case. All right. So one, this actually was Laurie, and I was a little surprised and uh, completely incorrect when last week we said, obviously, it wasn't her. Why they would obscure her face, I really don't know. But it was Laurie. Great. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good to have her back. Uh, second thing is, th- isn't this what happened to Jack in Lost with his father? He saw an image of his father, and his father went off into the woods, and he chased him, and eventually they found Adam and Eve and the water source. Well, Jack saw his father a lot in Lost, but yeah, he did chase like him the through second the second or third episode. Yeah, that's right. Saw his dead father. Yep. So uh, this is very similar in that, obviously, uh, the uh, the world, I guess it's not the island anymore. The, the island can't do this stuff, but uh, it's a very similar thing. It's been... He's being drawn into uh, an area by the apparition of a dead person. Yeah, exactly. And the third thing Uh is this bridge. (laughs) Why, oh, why would they have a bridge in the middle of a field that does not, next to a prison, to cover a uh, a creek? Yeah. To make it easier for escaping prisoners to get away from the prison? Well, it's not much of a bridge. Like, maybe it's like an ancient thing that was there before the prison was built. It was made of wood. It's not ancient. Well, wood, lots of stuff made of wood can yeah. be ancient. In, in you know, Georgia? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's it, not it, ancient. It could be. It could be. Like, well, the prison. Who knows how old that prison building is? It might not even be that old. Yeah. But I thought at first it was a dock, like a little, just a dock out into that tiny little stream. But the stream's not big enough, really, no. for a boat or anything. So it was an actual bridge. I don't <clears> know. But um, I don't know. I, it, he needed a way across that river. Yes, it was uh, obviously he needed a way across that river. There's no way that out, just outside of a prison would they make something that would make it easier for escaping prisoners to get away. Well, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm thinking that, that little wooden bridge could have been there for 80 years, and the they prison would have torn was, it down if they put the prison up. Okay, we well, need to I get rid know. of that bridge. 
All right, maybe. It's made of wood. It'd take four minutes to break it down. <laughs> I just was sort of thinking, yeah, it's a little strange, but I, I got past it quick. <laughs> I don't get past these things. <laughs> All right. Well, um, so Rick and Ghost Lori actually interact this time. She touches his face. They're very up close together. And then we see from Michonne's perspective what's going on, and Rick is standing alone on the dock, kind of touching his own face, it looked like. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit sad when you think about it. He's interacting with an apparition. Yes, he is. We go to the opening credits, and when we come back, we're in Woodbury. The governor goes to see Andrea. She really doesn't seem ha- that happy to see him. No. And he congratulates her on her good speech to the people, saying that's what they needed to hear. Yep. Um, she asks about retaliating against her friends at the prison, and he says there won't be one. Nope. He also claims that he's no longer fit to lead these people, but Andrea is. It's a little weird. Uh, it's a little bit weird, but he's... I mean... We all know that he's later, he is going to leave the prison to do something, and he wants her to stay there. He doesn't want her to get any ideas. Right. He's putting her in a position of authority so that so that he can go off and do whatever he wants to mm-hmm. do. Um, he, he's also, I noticed, acting really, really vulnerable in this scene. Like, he's really downplaying his ability to do anything useful anymore. And he says things like, you know, right just as he's leaving, I need... I mean, we need you, stuff like that. Right, you know? yeah. So he's really acting, he's playing up the vulnerability here for her. Yeah, a little bit. So we go to Daryl and Merle in the forest. Wasn't long before we see them again. Nope. They're talking about the lack of food and how hungry they are. And Daryl thinks that going back to the prison is a good idea, but of course Merle disagrees. That's because they don't see any squirrels kicking about. No squirrels. He says ants and mosquitoes. Mosquitoes, but no squirrels. You really can't eat ants and mosquitoes. You can eat ants. You need a lot of them to sur- well, yeah. sustain yourself. Yeah, but there are a lot of ants. <laughs> That's true. You melt a Toblerone chocolate bar, you put some ants in there, you're good to go. Yeah, well, the secret is having the Toblerone <laughs> chocolate bar. Yeah, it's true. Um, you know, it's hard to get those ants if you don't have a, a lure of some of some kind. Yeah. Um, but Merle disagrees about going back, and he also says that the governor is probably attacking and killing everyone at the prison right now. Right. So there may not be anything really to go back to. That's true. We go to the prison, and Glenn is taking charge and planning an attack on Woodbury. Yep. Um, he thinks the governor won't be expecting an attack so soon, and Michonne, who's now inside, agrees with this. That's true. Uh, Carl is also, you know, drawing on the floor, helping uh, helping Glenn plan things out. Well, they're trying to figure out where the breach in the prison is to protect from uh, yes, the that's governor what they're getting doing. in. That's right. Right. Um, Because Tyrese and uh, all them people came in through the breach, and they're mm -hmm. trying to figure out where it is. Right. So they're they're working on that. Herschel disagrees, of course, and thinks they should run. He thinks they should actually flee. Yeah, what the hell? It's a little bit of a strange, you know, attitude. He wants to run away and hide, I don't think it's strange. I think it's fine. It's like, okay, we can live without this prison. We were fine without it before. This prison is a huge magnet for the governor to come and retaliate. Let's just get the hell out of here. What the hell are we still doing here? Well, right. But don't you think the prison, despite the fact that it has a hole in one side, is still, in theory, a pretty easy place to defend? Like, my first instinct wouldn't be like, let's get the hell out of here. It'd be like, maybe we can make a stand here. You know, if we were just in a shack in the forest, then yeah, we'd run away. Well, the thing is, it's a matter of uh, of survival, right? You fight, there's a chance, like, you know there's going to be a fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you stand your ground here, you know there's going to be a fight. And, you know, people are going to get hurt, whether it's them or the governor's people or both, most likely. Somebody's going to, people are going to get hurt, hurt on both sides. If they just leave, they can survive, no fight. They can avoid the whole thing altogether, yeah. you're saying. I think it's a viable option. 
And yeah, I'm but, glad they brought it up. Okay, but giving up the prison is such a giant step. I mean, this is this is a place where you're supposed to be safe, even from attacking people like that. Yeah, but it's a huge pain in the ass. Well, maybe, really? maybe to keep it to keep it 100 percent safe, maybe. And there's not that many of them. That's the other thing, right? Um, I, I would have got the f out of Dodge. They survived on the road before. They can survive on the road now. You know, really, the amount of supplies that exist within this prison are, uh, you know, not infinite and portable. They have, obviously, they have trucks and cars and stuff. They got trucks. <laughs> and so they can just load up and get the hell out. Yeah. Take I, the supplies with them. I just don't think it would be that easy a decision. Like, if you're, you want a home base, and if and a prison is an awfully good place to have a home base, I think. Yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm just surprised that Herschel was like, "No, let's just let's just get out of here, you know. I right, let's I, go." I disagree. I think it's a viable option. I think it's a good option, and I think they uh in, you know, ultimately should have done it. Okay. Well, Glenn also mentions that Rick is in no condition to lead them right now. Nope. Which um it does sort of lean towards your feeling of maybe they should just get out of there because they they lack a leader, which is key in any right. doing anything, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but Glenn decides they're staying, and they will defend this prison. He's he's pissed, and he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to run. He just wants to stand the ground. Um, and he then suddenly realizes that there's nobody on watch. Right. I guess because Michonne's inside. See, I was thinking she was hanging out out there because she was sort of on watch all the time. Right. With Rick in Crazy Town, um, everyone else is a little more accepting of her, I think, and so maybe they were okay putting her on watch for a while, which Rick probably wouldn't have done. Yeah. Um, but there's nobody on watch, and that could be a problem. It's bad. We go over to Woodbury, and the governor visits Milton now, who's kind of doing something weird. He's listening to alpha waves to induce a uh, meditative state. Because he... But he said it weird. He said, uh... Yeah. Well, I, I Meditative. Didn't... Meditative state. Meditative or meditative? Did he say medit- meditative? Meditative? He, he didn't pronounce it meditative. He pronounced it something a little bit Okay, it could have just been an accent or something, but yeah. yeah, I didn't know what he was doing at first. These, I didn't even notice he had headphones on. There was just that sort of uh, pulsating noise. Oh, I noticed the headphones. No, I didn't notice them. And then the governor comes in and startles him, and I'm like, you didn't hear him coming? Oh, he well, had headphones he, on. <laughs> you know, the governor, there's a whole thing about, you know, is the governor evil? He's really doing evil things. Like, he's a bit of a bastard, and uh, he's... Uh, doing things that are self-serving, like power is its own reward kind of thing. And the fact that uh, obviously Milton is doing something that's he's trying to relax and listening to music. So how does he get his attention? He throws something on the table to startle them. Right. What a jerk. Well, yeah, he is. He's just, the, he's just the biggest jerk around. I think that's uh, that's his biggest failing. That he's just a, he's a dick. He's a huge dick. All right. Well, he does get Milton's attention, and he asks him that if he intends to stay because he counts on him for his expertise and friendship. Mm-hmm. Not expertise, his expertise. Not the tea. <laughs> no, that's right. Although the tea is nice. Yeah, the tea is nice. He also asks Milton to keep tabs on Andrea because he's not sure where her affiliations lie. Right. Which is something he seems to like to say. Oh, I wouldn't trust Milton. Or Did you see question. how he would uh, answer the questions? Like, uh, you know, Martinez, he would take a bullet for me. Would you take a bullet for me? Oh, yeah, yeah, of and course. He, he yeah. said yes, yeah. Yeah, was it convincing? Were you convinced that he would take a bullet for the governor? Well, no, of course not. But <laughs> That's I, the answer I, the governor wanted. Well, the, and the governor knows that, right? He's yeah. manipulating people yeah. as much as he always has. You keep tabs on Andrea? Oh, of course, yeah. Like, it's something he already does. It's just, yeah, I wouldn't trust this guy as far as I could throw him. No, and the, but the governor knows this, right? He knows he can't really trust him to do anything useful. 
but he also uses these sorts of tactics to intimidate him and try to keep him in right. line, I guess. Or, you know, you, you you tell two different people different things and, you know, Andrea's doing one thing and Milton's doing something else and you just see how they react and see, you know, judge for yourself where you think you can work with people. Yep. I think that's what the governor's doing. He's smart that way. Uh, but we go to a commercial. We come back. Andrea is at the gate looking for Martinez and the governor and she asks Karen, apparently, who's up, uh, up on the gate keeping watch, um, where they are and... Karen really won't talk to her. Nope. And as she walks away, she sees Milton, and Milton really won't give her a straight answer either. So uh, she, she is uh, Andrea. They're a fearless leader now because <laughs> she's not doing a good job. Well, well, you should lead this this group of people that nobody likes you. Yeah, that's well. I mean, that's what the governor said. He's like he know he knew he was leaving with everybody his his crew, you know, Martinez and so on. So it's like Andrea. Well, she gave that speech yesterday. Maybe she can keep the people in line while I'm gone. Yeah, and I'll get Milton to keep tabs on her. Um, but Andrea really doesn't know what's going on no. ultimately. So she just is looking for them but can't find them, and that's that. We go over to the prison, and Glenn and Carl come back from the boiler room, which they call the tombs. Is this the first time we've, they've referred to them as the tombs? No, I think last episode they referred to them as the tombs as well. Okay. I'm um, not sure exactly why. Well, they're underground. They're dark. They're scary. <laughs> Is that where they bury all the past leaders? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> but they, All the uh, kings of the prison? All the prison kings, yes. <laughs> I guess that's where they put them in the tombs, uh, and they've they've so they come back and they've discovered that it's full of walkers again. Yeah, <clears throat> and the group realizes they they are stuck with walkers, you know, in the tombs, and the governor is on his way, and they're sort of screwed. Yeah, what are they going to do? Uh, Glenn decides to go scout the far side of the prison to see how they're getting in. So right. he's finally going to go and like look and be like, oh, there's a big hole, <laughs> <laughs> which we saw which we, at the beginning of the season. Yeah, we've seen a million times. Yeah. Um, he decides to take Maggie with him, so he goes to talk to her, but she's really non-responsive. She's really still not happy with, uh, Mr. Glenn. Nope. Uh, and when she does start talking, she explains exactly what the governor did to her, and, uh, she essentially tells Glenn that she did it for him. Yeah. You know, she let everything happen to her because she had just heard him being tortured. The governor threatened to cut off his hand, things like that. She's like, I was basically saving you. So Glenn now knows exactly what happened. He knows she wasn't raped. Yep. And uh, he seems to feel pretty bad about being such a dick about it. Good. Well, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I have an email from Ian in Fort Washington. Uh, Last week, we were wondering if, um, if, if Glenn knew whether or not she was raped, like definitively, even though she said she wasn't. Yeah. Uh, and we do know now. We do know that now. But here's what Ian had to say: There's a moment where Glenn absolutely confirms that he thinks Maggie was raped. It happens in the scene after the first prison scene, uh, apparently about 12 minutes into the episode. They are discussing what to do with Merle, and Glenn says to Daryl, "Do you really want him sleeping in the same cell block as Carol, Beth?" Daryl replies, he ain't a rapist. Then Glenn ends it with, well, his buddy is. And Maggie gives Glenn an upset and confused look. Right. So we were kind of wondering, you know, why is Glenn so upset? Yeah. It's because, despite what Maggie said, he truly believed that she was raped by the governor in in Woodbury there. Yeah. He assumed that the governor did that. Well, that makes sense. Well, it sort of does, but you got to believe what she says also. But he knows now, because she laid it all out on the table, exactly what he did, 
And uh, <clears throat> he's feeling, I think he's feeling bad and they're going to come back together pretty quickly. Right. I think so too. Um, at the prison bridge, Carol and Axel are building a barricade along the fences there. Yeah. Um, I guess just to hide behind, they said, if something goes wrong. Well, yeah, they're going to reinforce it with metal. And, uh, you know, because really uh, having, you know, pallets down, they're not going to stop bullets. So reinforcing them with metal is probably a good idea. Metal and then wooden pallets. I guess they can use that as a shooting location, right? And not be totally out in the open. So Right. It's more to obscure their actual location than any protection from bullets, I I would think. Right. Uh, That seems to make sense. No, that's why they throw smoke grenades, because smoke smoke does not stop bullets, but it hides where you are. (laughs) Right. And that's important. It is. That's helpful, for sure. But So they're doing that, and Axel explains why he was in prison. And apparently it was all a big misunderstanding with his brother's gun. Right. Now, he did... Well, he did rob a store. He robbed a gas station, I a think A gas station, said. yeah. But he didn't actually have a weapon, and yep. then he went to his brother's house, and the police searched his brother's house and found his brother's gun, and were yep. like, that... That matches the description You're of, going- the, of the squirt gun he did not take out of his pocket. <laughs> That's right. He was... He was... Um, he was a little bit screwed, I think. He was. He took the fall for something that maybe you know wasn't really his fault. Well, he did rob a gas station. He did. So I'm not saying he's a perfect human being here, no. but you know he didn't rob the gas station uh, with any sort of dangerous weapon. Right. Yet that seems to be what he went to prison for. And you know he really comes off as kind of a nice guy here in this scene, and Carol seems to be warming up to him. Yeah, I really like Jasper. <laughs> Jasper. Yes, exactly. The The thing that occurred to me here, though, is they've kind of flip-flopped Axel's character a fair bit, you th- Jasper's you character. So? Jasper? Well, like two episodes ago, he was, you know, creeping on 17-year-old Beth saying, she's the only woman left in the world for oh, me. Oh, yeah. You know, he was this creepy dude that you wanted to have nothing to do with, and... This episode, they tried to make him likable. This episode, they were making him likable. He was joking around. He was, you know, he was in prison. Sure, he did something bad, but he was in prison for, uh, it was all a big mix-up, you know, and Carol was actually warming up to him. They they were having a nice sort of connection. I should have known at that point. I did not actually see what's going to happen coming, Mm -hmm. but uh, at that point, I should have known. You know, as soon as they focus in on a character and make him likable... They're dead. Yeah, well, usually. And especially like this, where we really haven't gotten much uh, with Axel yet. And and the fact is, not long ago, he was like a total creep. That yes. you'd just be like, what is with that dude? <laughs> now suddenly he's like the greatest dude in the world. So, right. um, yeah. So anyways, that was that. My wife has theories about uh, relationships between people. As okay. soon as, you know, it's the hair thing, okay? She, Carol has long hair, or short hair. But as soon as you, you know, if your hair's all up and tight, you're not very open to things. As soon as the hair starts coming down, you're becoming more likable. And she knows when people are going to be in relationships because they dress the same. <laughs> this is a TV thing this or is a TV like wor- thing, real world? Or a movie thing. Okay. It's a movie thing. They, uh, they, they, people tend to dress the same. So, I, you know, one of the things that I saw here was uh, that they seem to really be having it off or, you know, getting along and uh, a little flirty oh, yeah. kind of thing. So uh, I should have known something was coming. Something was up. But before anything happens, we go to Daryl and Merle in the forest again, talking about where they are and where they should go. And uh, suddenly they hear a baby crying, which yep. sort of came out of nowhere for me. Oh, man, it's raccoons having sex. Yeah, <laughs> that's what Merle thinks. <laughs> that's right. Animals getting down. That can't be a baby. No. They're nowhere near the Yellow Jacket River. That's right. They come out, uh, they come out of the forest. 
No, they talk about the yellow jacket later. They come out of the forest and see walkers attacking people on a bridge. No, they talk about the yellow jacket beforehand. It's like, oh, we're going to be, there's a body of water over there. It's got to be the yellow jacket. Oh, yes. What are you, crazy? You, you can't, uh, your sense of direction is way off. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It's like, yeah, well, you want right. to bet? No, I don't want to bet. No, Merle was trying, he was just imposing his sort of dominance over his brother with, yeah. with that whole thing, for yeah. sure. Uh, they come out of the forest and they see walkers attacking people on a bridge. Which looks sort of sort of cool. Yeah. Daryl runs to help, and uh, Merle doesn't want to, of course. No. Now I need to ask you about something he said here. Okay. His line was, uh, "I ain't wasting my bullets on somebody who hasn't cooked me a meal or fellatiated my piece." So was that actually what he said? Fellatiated. Well, that's what it sounded like. He might have said fellatiated. Like I don't know if he had the sh sound in there. Now, is he trying to say what he what I think he's trying to say? I didn't catch that line, but if it is what you just said, then absolutely he's trying to say what you think he's trying to say. Except the word, if I'm not mistaken, is fellated, not fellatiated or fellatiated or whatever he said. So I don't think the word was correct unless it's just the usement of that word, a conjugation that I'm unfamiliar with. Or they're trying to obscure the word so that it gets through the ratings. Well, it would get through the ratings. Hey, by the way, this show has recently been changed to TVMA. Oh, from yeah? TV 14. Oh, good. Yeah. So we could get, we're going to get more swearing, which I've already sort of felt like we have had. And who knows what else they could do now. Right. Zombie boobs all over the place, maybe. Well, I don't know about zombie boobs. Anyways, that's, I just, I wasn't sure what Merle was trying to say there because I think the word, it was unfamiliar to me, unless I have it wrong. I don't know. Fellated? I don't know. Which is the, the conjugation of the word fellatio. <laughs> Just well, in case anyone is unclear. You know, can Merle conjugate a verb properly? Oh, well, barely. Well, then fellatiate is probably what he thinks is the right word. All right. So that's what he was See, trying to I say. Because I didn't know that uh, fellate is the correctly conjugated version of fellatio. <laughs> I, well, I think it is. So I, I don't know. But I, I just think they, he got it wrong. And it confused me a little bit. Uh, if there are any any English teachers out there... Uh, let if anybody us know. knows how to conjugate a verb, <laughs> give us a call. <laughs> no, that specific one. Oh. <laughs> but we go to commercial before the uh, the bridge, and we come back. The people on the bridge are losing their fight with the walkers. They're, yep. they're up on top of cars, you know, woman's in the car with the baby. Things are not going well. Daryl comes up and starts killing zombies, and Merle's behind him, but pretty much just standing there doing nothing. Yeah. Really not helping at all. Um, now they, they go through a bunch of, uh, bunch of zombies. Daryl has lots of awesome, awesome zombie kills here. I thought, I really, really loved this scene. It was good. More so, I think, than Glenn's chair fight with the walker. Really? Yeah. And what I liked about it is a bunch of things, a bunch of good kills with the crossbow, with knives, with car doors, you know, things like that. (laughs) Yeah, the hatchback. Um, Oh my God. Uh, I liked how you saw Daryl shooting ar- arrows and retrieving the bolts yep. every time. He wasn't, it just, it didn't feel like he just had unlimited bolts for that crossbow. You know, he'd shoot one, he'd pull it out, he'd stick it in a nearby zombie, reload his crossbow and shoot again. Yep. Like that kind of stuff, just those details I thought were, were handled really, really well. It was nice. Um, and on top of it all, the music and the sound de- design was amazing. It was a good it, scene. It, it was a really good scene. And, I mean, Norman Reedus just looked so cool in this yeah. scene, I thought. Just the way he was able to step in and be like Rambo zombie, zombie Rambo or whatever, <laughs> and uh, take them all out. It was really, really cool. But when it's all wrapped up and done, Merle goes to steal the supplies from these people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. No, really. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, but Daryl raises his crossbow on his brother and prevents him from stealing anything. Really interesting scene. Yep. Um, as they're walking away, of course, we see the sign that says Yellow Jacket Creek, confirming that we now know that Daryl was, in fact, correct as to where they were, and Merle was wrong, yep. and Daryl is now the boss. Yes. It was, it was, this whole thing was, I thought, really, really well done with them traipsing through the forest, coming to this scene. Sure, it was a little convenient to have this happening there. Yep. And my first watch through, I felt a little bit more like, well, this is random. They're just, they're walking around. Then we have this random action scene. We move on and that's it. Never see these people again. Right. But I think it served a really, really interesting purpose in that it flipped the relationship entirely with, between Merle and Daryl. Right. It, it put Merle in the position, uh, Daryl in the position of, uh, of power over his brother, which is something we haven't really seen. Right. Now let's talk about this family for a second. All right. All right. So first of all, they didn't speak English. No, they spoke Spanish. They spoke Spanish. Uh, and in the credits, uh, they were credited as Mexican man, Mexican woman, that kind of thing. Okay. So they're Mexican. Yes, they are. So a couple of things. Uh, one, they seem to be really well stocked. Like they still had a lot of equipment in their car, a lot of food. Uh, they seem to be you know, in a good position in that vehicle. So they'd been driving for a while without m- much, many incidents, I would say. Well, unless they were holed up somewhere and were forced to leave recently. I mean, that's, that's just true. speculation. You never know. So <laughs> also, if they were, uh, I'm just wondering if they were fleeing Mexico by going north. Which means, and, and Daryl and uh, Merle were talking about, you know, we, we should go east and then south. So I think uh, it might be worse in the south, south of where they are than it is north of where they are. And this might be an mm. indication of that. That's an interesting idea. If you were, now Mexico is pretty far away. It from, is pretty from, far away. From Georgia. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you'd think they would be somewhere up in Texas or California or something if they were fleeing north from Mexico. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's that's an interesting point I hadn't thought of. If they're running away north trying to get away, even if they've only recently been doing that, yeah. maybe things to the south are worse. Yeah. So anyway, that was just my thought. And I, they really seemed well stocked. Like their, you know, the roof rack was full of stuff. The back of their hatchback was full of stuff. Right. Uh, you know, the whole family was together. Yep. which is rare as well. That's true. Uh, so anyway, I just thought it was odd that uh, this well-stocked, non-English-speaking uh, Mexican family were going someplace. Yeah. No, it's it's for sure. I don't think we're ever going to see them again. No, no. They were just a one-off for sure. It was a it was a plot device to, to flip the Merle, the Dixon brothers, but yeah. uh, an interesting idea. I mean, it could indicate some things about the world in general. Yeah. Cool. Um, and of course, there was the hatchback zombie kill, which was certainly the... <laughs> Uh, the goriest thing this episode, and one of the grossest things we've seen on this show, it was in my pretty nasty. opinion. Yeah. Pull a zombie out of the car and then just slam the hatch down, and his head explodes yeah. into a just a giant pulpy, pulpy mass of blood. Yep. Um, uh, uh, Daryl's hands got pretty covered in blood there in that scene, except they were magic <clears throat> cleaning hands because in the next scene they were nice and clean. Yeah, that's nice. I guess he wiped them off on his shirt or something. Did you notice as they were walking away uh, when Daryl pulled the bolt uh, out of the last zombie's head? And he stepped on the head and it was obviously made of rubber. Oh, no, I didn't notice that. <laughs> the rubber head. <laughs> <laughs> well, eh, that's okay. I didn't notice. <laughs> but, you know. I know, that, I know people have soft heads in this, uh, in this world, but uh, that was obviously obvious 
rubber head. Did it spring like a basketball? It did. It squished right down and then sprung right back up. Okay. I'll take a look when I rewatch. <laughs> um, so they're walking away, and Merle's complaining about not taking their stuff again. Yeah. Um, Daryl stands up for himself, basically. Uh, but Merle reveals that they were planning on robbing the quarry camp back in season one. Right. So him and his brother were going to rob those people until all that stuff went down. Merle wow. got locked on the locked on the roof, and Daryl became part of the group. I thought that was an interesting revelation. It is. Um, and he claims the only reason the robbery didn't happen is because he wasn't there to help Daryl. Merle says that. Right. They argue about their childhood and Merle leaving, or at least uh, when they were a little bit younger, and Merle leaving. Merle pushes Daryl down and rips the back of his shirt off, and which reveals some tattoos and some major scars across his back. Yeah. This uh, gives, you know, Merle's taken aback a little bit and says he didn't, uh, he didn't know he did this and kind of trails off. And Daryl says, yes, he did. He did the same to you, and that's why you left first. Yep. Daryl gets up after that, walks away, and uh, says he's going back to where he belongs, to the prison. Yep. So um, what, we, what we get here is the reveal that both of these brothers were abused by their father. Yep. And that's why they that's why they left, and um, pretty pretty crazy, really, pretty insane that uh, that that you know those kind of scars. I mean, they look like they must have been caused by whipping or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like really really nasty. They were not cool. Um, so anyway, so Daryl's heading away as he's walking away. Uh, Merle says he just can't go back there, but Daryl leaves anyways. Yep. Like I said, he is now the boss, and he's decided what he's going to do. After a minute, Merle follows him. Yep. So there's two things about this scene. Uh, I thought it was really, really good. I thought mm-hmm. it was really, really well done. I'd agree. But there's a couple things about this. One, oh, the tattoos. What? <laughs> when he rips the shirt off, they're on the right side of his back. Yeah. As he walks away, they're on the left side of his back. Oh, I noticed that. I thought it, maybe I just failed to see that they were uh, a mirror image. I thought, well, why would they be a mirror image anyways, though? But, like... It was so blatant. I noticed it the first time I was watching, but I moved on right away to other stuff because, you know, this episode kept going. And when I rewatched, I'm like, I can't, I really can't believe this. Like, how did they... That's a huge continuity it's, issue. It's massive. It's huge. One of the things people write into us a fair bit about is every time, um, you know, the governor's... Uh, I think his right eye is the one that got poked out. Every time there's a shot where it looks like it's his left eye that's poked out, yep. um, people write in and be like, oh my God, they got it wrong. How could they do that? There was a scene in the scenes for next week's episode where his opposite eye, he's always looking in a mirror. So right. it's reversed. There's no looking in mirrors when Daryl's walking no, away from Merle isn't. here. Yeah. Those tattoos moved across his back. That's a That's a big issue i wonder why they did that because obviously the editor is going to notice that i mean in this day and age people go there are people whose whole job is to deal with continuity issues right? yeah they have continuity consultants on screen and their job is to do you know continuity for season over season almost you know yeah. like they don't contradict something that happened like eight episodes ago this was in one scene yeah and it just got past everybody i don't well, I, I don't know i it. don't think it got past everybody i think that there was a very specific reason that they needed to do this that they weighed the continuity issue over whatever they were trying to accomplish and they wait they said okay we got to go with this even though it's a continuity issue not many people will uh, will catch it those guys on the on the talking dead though they'll catch it for sure <laughs> i don't know like 
that that must be it. Like there must be like we just can't fix this now, so it's going to have to stand. But I mean, how it was so blatant. Like didn't everybody see that? Like why how could you miss it? It was so blatant. I think now now that you mention it, I did see it, but and my brain caught it but then just went forget it. And All I right. only watched it the once. Like you right. said you saw it but it, you glossed over it. Uh so maybe, you know, people don't watch it as the masses, you know, the the eleven million people that see this episode don't watch it with the uh, with the eyes that we do. Well, that's true, and I guess a lot of them will just move on. Or and a lot of them will also watch it uh, very similarly to how my wife watched it. She she watched this episode with me today <laughs> through her fingers, <laughs> which was the first time in this season that she saw it. So I I took a ten minutes before the episode started and gave her a rundown of what was going on because otherwise I'd have to pause it, explain what was going on, right. move on, pause it, explain what was going on. So I gave her a complete rundown to what was, uh, you know, get her caught up. Yep. And uh, she watched it while she was on her iPhone doing something. Right. I don't know what she was doing. So but barely she watching barely it. Barely watching it. And I think a lot of people, and I've, I've, I'm guilty of this too, is sometimes when I'll watch something that I'm not all that interested in, uh, I will watch with the iPad, and I'll be looking up things like uh, how do you freeze dry fruit, kind of thing. <laughs> right, something you've always wanted to know. It's a, you know that's <laughs> something you're... I looked up today while watching something. I forget what we were watching. All oh, right, Mr. Mom. We watched Mr. <laughs> Mom. It's a good movie. It was not bad. I I remember watching it back in the eighties, thinking it was crap. But uh, no, see, I remember watching it back in the eighties, thinking it was an alright movie. Yeah, it was alright. I haven't seen it since then, though, so yeah. I don't know. It's on Netflix. Okay. Well, anyhow, tattoos <clears throat> moved across the back. Yeah. I'm going to go back and watch and see if they are a mirror image or if they've just shifted across. And no, it's... they shifted. They, okay, they shifted. You have it up there now? No, I don't have it up All there, right. but. Uh, <laughs> My my memory is uh, seems to be pretty clear on this. Anyways, huge, huge thing. The other thing about this scene that I really, really liked is um, as Merle, just, just as Daryl's going to leave, Merle says, you know, I almost killed Michonne, although he doesn't call her by name. And he says, I al- you know, I almost killed the Chinese kid. Yeah. And Daryl says he's Korean. Yep. And Merle says, whatever. Now, do you know why I love that so much? Why? It's a callback to season one. Daryl and um, Daryl and Glenn are part of the team that go back into Atlanta to try and rescue Merle. Right, but he's gone, obviously. Yeah. And there's a scene where Daryl and Glenn are down in between some buildings, hiding behind a dumpster. Daryl says, "You got some balls for a Chinaman." Yeah. Glenn says, "I'm Korean," and Daryl says. Whatever. Right. I it, didn't catch that. Yeah, it was fantastic. I had I had to go back and check it. I'm like, this sounds familiar. So I went back and checked it. But really, really cool, I thought. You know, two seasons ago, it just shows how where Daryl's come. Yeah, his growth as a character and his, uh, you know, becoming friends with, with Glenn. And it's important to him. Now. Uh, absolutely. And I, I think they did a nice job, nice job with that. So yeah. good stuff. Maybe in two seasons, Merle will be uh, on board and... You know, with the uh, with the group of survivors, and be an integral part and loved and beloved by all. He won't be calling Michonne that black bitch anymore. No, we'll see. Maybe they'll hook up. Yeah, you never know. They'll be the two to repopulate the earth. Yeah. Before that happens, though, we go back to the prison, and Herschel's telling Glenn to smarten up before he does something dumb. Basically, yep. Uh, they're outside. Glenn is about to leave. And he tells him his rage is going to get him killed. Yeah. So to settle down. Uh, Glenn then claims he's the next in charge with Daryl and Rick gone in crazy town, he says. Yep. Wandering and, uh, crazy town. It was a good line. That was a good line, yeah. 
Um, so then he gets in another beautiful, clean, brand new looking pickup truck and drives. That off. was a nice truck. It was a big, long king cab or something like that. Yeah, there was uh, there was a four door truck. It was a Dodge Ram, I believe. I, I'm not even sure we've seen it on the show before. No, we haven't. It's a brand new truck. They just got it. They just got it right straight out of the car wash and the dealership. Drove it off the lot this morning. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so he gets in that and drives away as he's leaving. It's full of supplies. Did you notice that? Well, it was full of something. It was covered by a tarp. Yeah. It's just, it strikes me as weird as, uh, okay, first of all, he's going to, he's driving away. Uh-huh. He's going to drive outside the gate all the way around the other side of the prison. You know, what if he gets in the trouble and has to abandon the truck? Why take all that stuff? Why take the supplies? Yeah. It makes no sense. No. <laughs> it does not make any sense. But it does show that the truck is good for hauling equipment in a apocalypse situation. Absolutely. I think if you need a vehicle, a pickup truck is a good one to have. Yeah. So this, do you think this was product placement as well? Oh, the truck was, for sure. Yeah, okay. for sure. That's, I think so, too. That truck is going to be like the Subaru, never dirty um, and always available, sitting and in the background. Hauling gear. Hauling gear, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good stuff. Uh, I, so I was going to say, Glenn's leaving, Herschel sees Rick wandering in the forest. Yeah. Just, you know meandering around out there who knows what he's doing he's got stuff to do inside beth brings the baby to maggie to feed and we get a bonding scene between the two sisters here yeah and it struck me i wonder if glenn and maggie will become sort of surrogate parents to rick's baby very very well could you know i i, I don't know but or you know i i sort of figured beth would become the fill-in mother because she seems to be the one holding the baby constantly yep. but it seems like bringing in maggie a little bit into that fold so you never know what might happen there? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Rick comes back out of the forest and uh, hears somebody calling his name. Now, I feel like they went out of their way to disguise Herschel's voice. Here, they did. Because it really didn't sound like Herschel, even though it was him. And I think they were just trying to give us a few seconds of wondering if he's even more crazy, like hearing his own name being called now, or well, or if it was a character we don't know yet or something. Well, I got the impression that, yes, I thought that they were disguising uh, Herschel's voice. And misdirecting it, like making him look back into the forest, where obviously the sound was not coming from. Right. Uh, but I did. I thought that uh, they did this in order to show that Rick wasn't sure whether it was a real voice or not. Right. He was hearing his name, mm-hmm. and he didn't know where it was coming from until eventually it resolved into Herschel. Oh, it's Herschel calling. So I thought it was part of Rick's character and Rick's experience that, uh, that they did this, rather than, than them trying to manipulate us. Okay, I like that. I, I think I can get on board with that. I was sort of more thinking it's it's them just playing with us a little bit more. But um, if it's Rick trying to f- come to, to his senses and yeah. not hearing things right, then that's I like that better. Yeah. I'm good with that. Uh, so he comes out of the forest. Herschel's there. And Herschel's trying to get Rick. To, they start talking. He's trying to get Rick back to come back because he says Glenn is on the warpath. Yep. <laughs> and we, we need you to come back. Um Rick isn't really making much sense talking to Herschel, but then he sort of gets it together and he tells Herschel that he's seeing Lori and that it was her on the phone. Right. So he's admitting all of his, you know, strange feelings to Herschel. Right. What's it like in Crazy Town? That's right. Uh, Herschel says, look, you should come inside and get some rest. And uh, Rick says he can't and walks back across the little dock. He's got things to do. I got uh, stuff. Yeah, that's right. Stuff out here. He doesn't know what, I don't think. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I got to do this stuff out here. Got to do some stuff, exactly. Um, Crossing that bridge. He's crossed that bridge like six times. Yeah, well, and then he wandered out into the forest to come back. I don't know what he did out there. Yeah. Just following voices in his head or something. Um, but But I liked this. I mean, every now and then, 
you know, Rick is clearly losing it, but he he does come back a little bit every now and then. Like the scene, he he, he you know he brought himself. He had the wherewithal to tell Herschel, sort of, he's seeing Laurie. I heard her on the phone. You know, I know she doesn't exist. She's not there, but this yeah. is what I'm dealing with, you know? So I like that he can talk about it a bit. Yeah. We uh, cut to Carol and Axel chatting again, having a nice time, joking around about how uh, life was simple in the prison for Axel yeah. and how he actually didn't mind it there so much. Rules and, you know, guidelines and exactly. three square meals a day. And a you bed to, to sleep on. Yeah, you don't have to worry about where that's coming from. Yep. Um, so they're joking around. Everything's fun. Suddenly he's shot in the head. Yeah. Down he goes. I actually screamed at this point. Oh, no, no. I was very upset. Starting to like the Axel, aren't you? I really like Jasper. I thought he was a great character right from the <laughs> beginning, even though he was creepy man going, coming on to a 17-year-old girl. Right. I uh, I thought he had great potential, and I thought he would be a, you know, a, a likable, eventually he would be a likable uh, addition to the, to the company. Yeah, well. Nope. One bullet to the head, and he was dead instantly. Sad to see him go. We see the governor in a truck outside the prison gates with a rifle, having just taken the shot. Yeah. Uh, we go to commercial, and when we come back, from here on in, we get pretty much a big firefight um, between the governor attacking the prison and everybody in their various locations trying to defend it. Now, before we discuss this a little bit, right? Um, there are some things that I'm wondering about, such as, A, how come nobody heard the governor drive up in his truck? When, when last episode, when... Uh, they were coming back. You know, we heard the car coming, and uh, Carl said, I hope that's them. Remember we talked about that because they could hear the car coming. Yep. Yet the governor can drive up in a van or a truck, I mean, and uh, nobody hears anything. Even though Rick is outside the gate, Herschel's out in the field, and almost everybody's outside. <clears throat> it's got a, uh, a secret uh, Caterpillar drive, uh, much like the one they had in the submarine in uh, Hunt for Red October, that uh, they could use to silently move through the forest. Silent forest vehicles, or very also very similar to the uh, the electric motors they use on fishing boats to, to troll around. Oh, if it was an electric powered truck, sure, those engines are almost silent. Well, maybe they have a, a little electric motor that they switch to so that <laughs> they can sneak up on prisons. So they've they've convert they've done a hybrid conversion on that truck. Yeah. So it's quiet. Yeah. Okay. So the other question I have is, yeah, um, how one of the governor's men is in the prison guard tower. How did he yes. get up there without anyone noticing? Uh, he's obviously Spider-Man. Okay. Or Batman. I would accept either. All right. <laughs> he's a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, I think, goes back to the scene earlier in the episode where Glenn says, how come nobody's on watch? Right. I think... He's on watch. I think what they were trying <laughs> to say or what how they were trying to work this out is that nobody was on watch, which gave the governor time or that guy anyways to sneak in and get into the guard tower and get into position right right they typically have someone on watch in that tower i think yeah. or at least nearby but if nobody was on watch because they were all too busy trying to get revenge or clear out the tombs that was the opportunity for that guy to climb the tower and get into position yeah he got through the gates too or over the fences somehow over the fence yeah exactly or through the breach and through the tombs with all the zombies in there yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense why he's in that tower. No, I don't think so either. Like at first when the fight breaks out, I thought, oh, they, you know, the prison 
team prison has somebody in the tower that's going to help them but no then it's not and they start shooting at him so it's a pretty advantageous position to be in yeah so i don't you know blame the governor for wanting a guy up there but i don't know how he got him there that's the whole point of that uh of that tower is to have a you know a shooting position in the case of a uh, a riot of some sort yeah exactly anyways though that aside here's i wrote down where everybody is as things break out here so we've got rick on the dock outside the gates yep outside the prison we've got herschel just inside the gate taking cover in long grass because he was just talking to rick true we've got carol lying behind axel's dead body for cover yep because they were standing there together we've got michonne behind the overturned bus near the front gate Uh, near her, her house her house yeah We've got Beth and Carl moving around the prison yard. First, they're behind some benches, and then they run to sort of a wall corner kind of thing. And we've got Martinez, one of the governor's guys, on the tree line, but separate from where the governor is, basically shooting at Rick. We've got the governor and that other guy that we've seen in Woodbury a lot, who's, I don't know if he's had a line yet, but he's at the truck. Um, He's taking, the other guy's taking cover behind one of the doors. The governor's just standing out in the open using his plot device shield. He's doing, yeah, he's doing the same thing he did in the last episode. Yeah. He does not take cover. He does not uh, flinch away from nearby ricochets. Nope. Uh, He is doing what Patton did. He just stands up and he's in the middle of it. That's right. Firing indiscriminately into the air as well with his... uh, Shooting, but also wasting bullets into the air. You're right. Seems a little weird. And then as we mentioned, we've got another of the governor's men... Uh, men in the prison tower. Right. So that's where everybody is. Basically, everyone is just shooting and taking cover. A lot of automatic weapon fires going off here. Nobody is hit or killed at this point. Right. Um, Maggie then comes running out with more guns, hands them to uh, Carl and Beth, and then runs to take cover to just try and help, I suppose. Uh, More shooting. Um, It looks like, it looked like the guy the governor was with got hit and went down. But he wasn't, because we see him a couple scenes later standing there. Yeah, he's getting in the truck. Uh, he got in the truck at the end. When they left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But he, it did look like he was... The scene where some fire came and hit the truck door, and the governor just kind of shrugged it off like he didn't care. Yeah. It looked like that dude went down with those shots, but I guess he was just taking cover. Oh, yeah, he was just taking cover. Governor, I didn't think he got hit. Okay, I did. I watched a few times. I did, but then he was there. So, yeah, governor refuses to take cover. He's that arrogant. Yeah. <laughs> Or crazy. Um, There's a break in the firing, and we hear a vehicle approaching. Mm -hmm. This time we hear the vehicle approaching. I hope that's them. Yeah. (laughs) And this time it wasn't. Um, A mail delivery. Mail delivery. A van, some kind of delivery. This van drives full blast through both prison gates, smashing them down right into the courtyard of the prison, or the uh, prison yard anyways. Um, the governor is, we see him laughing to himself as this is happening. It's like, my plan is working. Yep. And, uh, suddenly the van stops and after a slight pause, the back opens and a bunch of zombies are released into the prison yard. Yep. Matt from the internet sent us this email. He says, during the past episode's attack on the prison, did the zombie truck driver end up running back to meet the governor, or could he, she, still be hiding out someplace in or near the prison? He could? Uh, no. I have an answer. Oh. Yes. I was wondering this myself because the first time I watched it, I didn't see the—we see the person get out of the truck and start shooting, Yeah. but I missed what happened after that. And I was wondering to myself, 
What about the person driving the truck? Well, like, he ran past Michonne's house, took a few shots, and ran through the gates. Right. That's what we saw. That There yeah. was a quick scene. He, he jumped, he or she, we don't know if it was a he or she, because fully, uh, full riot gear armor on, yep. including a helmet, um, jumps out with a handgun, starts shooting at Michonne so she can't fire back, and he, she runs out the prison gate. Right. The internet seemed to be wondering if it was Andrea. But no, I don't think it was Andrea. She no. was. They set her up as to uh, you know for not knowing where the governor is. Yes, she's, or Martinez because she was looking for Martinez as well. Right. So, yeah, it's not Andrea. Um, it would be a it would be a stretch if it was. You know. Uh, yeah. They no. They, I, I think they definitely set up the fact that she did not know where the governor was and she's not with him. So my question is then why obscure this person? Just because it sort of makes sense plot wise, or are they or are they trying to hide who that is from the viewer? Uh, I thought that it just kind of made sense because this person would be going into an area that they would probably be under heavy fire and be amongst a whole bunch of zombies. Mm-hmm. So you know, protect them as well as possible. Uh, the fact that their face was hidden was inconsequential. I didn't think anything of it. I don't think that they're deliberately trying to hide who this person is. All right. It occurred to me that, like, why wouldn't they just... You who know, could it be? Well, that's the thing. I mean, there's not all that many... It's not... Um, there's not all that many characters like, no. that we know that, that would make have any impact on who is, it is, right? Is it Jimmy? Did Jimmy survive? <laughs> Jimmy's back. And with the governor. No, it's... I mean, it's not Andrea... Partly because she's in Woodbury wondering what's going on, but also because I don't think she would do this. There's no unknown characters. It's not Milton because he's sitting around back there. It's not that Karen woman that Andrea was talking to because she was back in Woodbury. I mean, it could be her, but she was back in Woodbury sort of being, you know, difficult. And why would they hide that? And why would they hide that? Exactly. They She had some lines. I mean, yeah. so why would they hide that? So maybe it's just nobody. Maybe it's just... You know, you're going to go into the enemy territory with a bunch of zombies. You should be protected. Maybe it's that, uh, Timothy, what you what have you got in your pocket? No, he's maybe dead, he's, remember? I know he's dead, but maybe he survived. Uh, maybe. I don't know. I don't think it didn't and look like hiding he it from survive. us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So uh, anyways, I just wondered that. I'm like, why would they put the helmet on the person? But logically, it makes sense. So. Well, zombies. And we don't know if there's an actual protection between the uh, where the zombies were in the truck and the front seat. Right? Well, there's got to be something. You're not going to drive around with zombies in a truck. Uh, if you got that kind of level of protection, maybe you would. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It'd be or, hard to drive if they were clamoring over the seat to get at you. Okay, so maybe this person, in order to get the uh, the ramp to go down, had to reach or you know go into the back compartment where all the zombies were briefly. So they uh, they protected this person up in order to get to, Ooh, to be able to do that. That is a job you don't want. Uh, I don't know. Either well, not a lot of these jobs are jobs I would want. I no, would, I don't think so. Yeah, and, but go back in the back of that truck where there's 14 zombies and pull a lever, would you? Yeah, don't want to do that. That'd be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the person comes out, runs out the gates. Um, shooting resumes, but now Herschel's in serious danger because there are zombies in the field with him. Yep, and they're coming at him. Rick is out of ammo, but Martinez is still at the tree line shooting at him. They all got lots of ammo. Boy, oh boy. They got magic weapons that just fire and fire and fire. Governor never reloads his his bullpup design. We don't see him reload, and we see him firing indiscriminately into the air, so... He loves his Sterog. What? His Sterog. It's uh, the name of the... uh, It's a company that made the rifle that he has. All right. It's a bullpup design where the uh, the magazine is in the shoulder stock. Uh It makes the whole thing shorter. All right. 
So. It's a neat looking gun. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that. Bull pup. B-U-L-L-P-U-P design. Okay, cool. So Martinez is still shooting at Rick. The zombies outside the prison gates are now becoming a problem too yep. because they're getting agitated and amassing. Uh, Maggie finally takes out the guy in the guard tower. Boy, everybody's a really lousy shot now, eh? They can shoot zombies like nobody's business, but can't hit anybody to save their lives. Literally. Well, well, Herschel, in this scene, you know, stood on one leg with a handgun and shot a zombie square in the forehead. Yeah. You know, as it got out of the truck. Zombies, no problem, but uh, there was the initial shot when uh, when Axel got hit. Yeah. And then the guy in the guard tower eventually got hit. I'm going to call the guy in the guard tower the edge. The edge? He was wearing a bandana and yellow glasses. Okay. So the edge got killed. Yep. Which is sad, really. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, but other than that, nobody got hit. Uh, and there was a long firefight. Oh, and a lot of ammunition was yeah. discharged. So they are all lousy shots when shooting at humans. It's different, I guess. I thought Carl would get that guy in the, and get the edge for sure. I thought so, too. I thought Carl, he was there trying to get that guy for a long time with... Uh, with Beth, who didn't fire one round, as far as I could tell. Yeah. She was holding a giant assault rifle that her sister handed to her, but she didn't do anything with it. Now, to be fair, I've never actually been in a firefight of any kind whatsoever. No, neither have I. And uh, if I were, if I did find myself in, in a firefight, I would be a lousy shot, too. Oh, yeah. And I'm, complete, I'm completely untrained, much like these people. Right. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't fault them. But, you know, it's TV, for crying out loud. Hit somebody. Right. Well, they, they killed the edge eventually, so that, that was okay. At least they got somebody. And that was the most important guy to get yeah. because he was the one causing the most problem. Um, now, uh, the governor and his crew start to leave just as Glenn drives back up. Yep. Glenn's, Glenn's back from his little... Uh, and they pass each other. Yeah, They're they like, Oh, hi. <laughs> See you later. Um, thanks How are for, you leaving? Thanks for coming. I just got here. Yeah. Um, and Michonne decides to start attacking the walkers in uh, in the field with her sword, and it was spectacular. It was. That was some pretty good fun. I don't know. You know, people are going to write in and tell us that uh, whether or not that sort of style with the katana is a valid katana style. Well, who cares? She's not but professionally trained. It looked cool. She it, can do whatever she wants, whatever works. I thought it looked amazing. She was just swinging it around, taking heads off, slicing them in half. I thought it was really, really cool. Now, you got you also have to think that uh, classically trained or trained swordsmen in any form are meant to, are trained in order to combat other swordsmen. Yes. Right? Uh, Michonne has a sword. She found it. Whether she's had any training whatsoever beforehand is kind of up in the air. Well, I she's think. had the fencing. We know that. Yeah. But, but use of this slicing edge weapon, she's never had to train to go up against somebody else with a sword. She always goes up against people with, uh, you know, no weapons. True. She's killing zombies. So, uh, you know, technique be damned. Whatever works for you. She's developing her own technique to accommodate a situation that is unique to this to her. And it looked amazing. It looked amazing. It was really, really cool. So Rick is pinned down against the fence by a few walkers now. He's got... I think three on him and he's holding yeah. one with one arm and another two with the other arm. And um, just as it looks like he's done for a crossbow bolt comes through the Walker's head right in front of him, almost hitting him in the forehead. Yeah. Daryl and Merle to the rescue. There they are. They're back. Um, Gl- Merle with a piece of rebar. Is that what he had? He had, yeah, it's rebar for crying out loud. Uh-huh. That was awesome. Well, that's okay. It works. Yeah. Um, so they start fighting the zombies around there. Glenn and Michonne rescue Herschel. I thought it was fitting that Glenn was the guy to go and pick up Herschel in yeah. the car and rescue him. It was a nice. nice truck. 
with his yeah, nice I got truck. this truck. Get in. It's yeah. full of supplies. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and uh, even though we were just driving around the dirt roads, it's still perfectly clean. Buckle up. Um, now, we get a bunch of shots of everybody looking. So everyone's sort of more or less safe now. The fight is over. The governor's gone. They've taken out the walkers with the uh, the most immediate threat to everybody. Uh-huh. And we get a bunch of shots of everybody looking at the zombies that are still wandering around. They all look very worried. And uh, more zombies seem to be coming in through the gate. They, yep. They're filing into the prison yard. Um, and we end, as we have with so many other episodes, with a shot of Rick's face through that fence, looking upset, a little bit crazy, yep. concerned, and uh, yeah, just sort of wondering what to do, and that's it. He's very upset that uh, reality has come to crazy town. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it at all. Um, Do you think all this is going to bring him back to real life and sort of give him a credible threat that's going to make him focus on and and sort of live in the real world a little bit more? Uh, For a little while. I mean, it's happened in the past, right? Yeah. He went crazy there with the phone, and then he focused to get Glenn and Maggie out. And to get uh, Merle and Daryl out, but he did see Shane. Like he was still seeing people while he was. Yeah, but he was Wilbur. focused enough to be able to plan and execute something. Mm-hmm. And just in the middle of a firefight, he got a little nuts. So I think maybe that he, you know, it, we could see that. But I don't think his uh, his visit to Crazy Town is over. No, I, think I don't. He's think booked so. a hotel room and he's there for the night. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> um, I do hope they don't bring. An, um, uh, Lori back every episode? No, just uh, seven hours. Now I we, think we've seen seven hours worth of work, I think. I think so. I That's the thing. I, I just hope they don't focus on it too much. Why they obscured her, I'll never know. Like, why not show her? Well, why make her it, face was, it was creepier. It was dark up there. She was backlit because there was a window. You know, it was just a little bit creepier. I don't that. know. But if they took the time and the effort to actually get the actress, get Sarah Wayne Callity back on set for a little while, why not show her when they could have put anybody up there? Well, they did. I mean, they probably shot all the outdoor stuff first. They right? could have put me in a dress up there and it would have been fine. <laughs> I'm not so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're probably right. You don't have that thin, trim figure that she does. No, but it was very dark up there. And she was wearing white, I guess. You know, if she was wearing black, that's very slimming. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> she anyway, doesn't need it, though. Right, a wig? Yep. Um, so this episode I thought was pretty good. I thought it was, I mean, I thought the whole battle at the end was was awesome. The only thing I would have liked that would have made this episode a little bit better for me, and tell me if I'm crazy here. Okay. But I was, when it was all said and done, I was like, you know, I think it would have been really cool to have a quick scene back at Woodbury with the governor Martinez planning this attack. I realized they wanted to spring it on us and not sort of let, you know, surprise the viewers with, oh, my God, they're being attacked. What are they going to do? But for some reason, I just felt like I could have used a quick planning scene, you know, given us a hint as to what was to come. Not really tell us anything, not explain that they were going to drive a truck full of zombies in there. Just be like, you know, even if it was just the governor rounding up his men, you know, saying, get your weapons, get in this car. You're crazy. Am I? You are. Because I think they went out of their way in order to misdirect us. And not tell us that uh, that this was going to happen. They specifically, the governor specifically said 
that he's not going to retaliate. And then, uh, you know, they did set up that he's out on a run. Yes. But uh, that's all Milton would say. But Milton, he would say, you know, getting supplies, you know, we were tapped out in the last raid or what have you. So, you know, we need more supplies. Do you think Milton knew where he was and he was just, you know, being difficult or did he even not know? He might not have not, 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 not have known. I don't think he knew. I don't think he knew. But I think that they went out of their way in order to not tell us or to misdirect us as to what the governor was doing uh, in order to spring this on us and to have uh, you know Axel shot and be a, a surprise in this whole firefight being a surprise, but which that, it was for me. Oh, totally, for me too. But my first thought was like, what? They're attacking already? And, and I mean, it makes sense when you take the episode as a whole, you know? Yeah. But I don't think it would have taken anything away from the Axel surprise. Like, I, I'm not looking for those kind of details. I'm just looking for, you know... Something to foreshadow what's about to happen. No, I disagree. I no. disagree. I thought this was uh, this was excellent, and I was just getting comfortable with the fact that this was an episode where nothing happened. You know, because <laughs> I was actually thinking that when uh, Herschel was talking to Rick and everybody's talking to everybody, and then you know, then Axel and Carol are talking and they're talking about his brother's house and how he likes prison, and I'm like, okay, this nothing's going to happen. It's just kind of a setup episode, and I was okay with that. I thought the pacing was good. It was a little slower than normal, but uh, I was perfectly fine with that. Then all of a sudden, bam, you know, a shot out of nowhere. Jason screams in his living room. <laughs> I'm all upset. Jenny's downstairs doing laundry. She's like, well, what happened? It's like, well, I, I'm not going to tell you. Come up and we'll rewind it. She didn't. She really didn't watch this, pay attention to it. So uh, <clears throat> I completely and wholeheartedly disagree with you. All right. Well, I don't know. I thought it came out of nowhere a little too much. Like, I appreciate the surprise. I appreciate the um, what they were going for. But, like, foreshadowing's cool, too, and I think it just would have made it even better for me. I don't know. It was still still pretty fun. Now, and the other thing is you can't claim or I – you can't say that nothing happened in this episode because I think the Dixon Brothers stuff was worth it alone, the way – the way they uh, flip-flop their characters. What I mean by nothing is, uh, you know, moving the plot forward as far as Woodbury and the prison, the conflict going. That was a one-off in order to set up something that happened between the, uh, you know, the Dixon brothers, which was fine. And, you know, all the talking is good, too. I was okay with the pacing. I was okay with what was going on. Right. But I figured nothing would happen between the two camps. Right. Right. They'd all just sort of think about doing stuff. Yeah, and the next episode they'd set it up for, oh my God, the conflict. But uh, no, they brought the conflict to Crazy Town. <laughs> the conflict came to Crazy Town. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, I'm 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 certainly not complaining too much. I thought it was a pretty good episode. It had a bit of everything, and uh, and uh, it was it was better than last week's. It was an improvement over the mid season premiere. Yeah. Uh, which in its of itself wasn't too bad, but. Uh, um, yeah, I think some people are going to be complain complain about you know Ghost Lori showing up so soon again right away, um, but I think we're probably done with that for a little while and we can move on. Rick will probably see somebody else appear in front of him, you know, unexpectedly in the next episode. Otis, Otis is coming back. <laughs> good old Otis, or maybe uh, the guys in the bar that he killed. Oh, that'd be good. Tony and Dave. Yeah, I something think. like that. I think it was Tony and Dave. Um, one more thing. Did it bother you at all that uh, Tyrese and his group was not in this episode at all? No, they left. But they haven't really left. They're still on the show. Oh, I know. I, I mean, I guess they're just out in the forest somewhere taking cover. But I don't know. Again, it's another thing. I would have liked to have seen just one quick scene with 
what they're doing, even if like even if like think how cool it would have been if we'd seen them sort of in the forest and they hear all this gunfire happening and that's what turns them around and brings them back. That could be. You know, something like that. I just think it would have been nice to just have a quick update on what's going on with them. Uh, um, it. I noticed that they weren't in the episode, but it did not bother me. Okay. All right. So this is your favorite episode of all time then? Well, no. I, just, I don't have any uh, <laughs> I know, I'm just real complaints other than the rubby, rubber head that uh, Daryl stepped on to pull the, the bolt out of it. <laughs> the rubber basketball head. Yeah. That would be funny. Maybe they can shoot some hoops with that it thing It wasn't later. even inflated as much as a basketball. A basketball would not have... Uh, squished as much. This was a Nerf football of a oh, head. Oh, Nerf football head. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So there you go. If you uh, have any thoughts on this episode, give us a call or send us an email. You know, tell us where we're right, where we're wrong, and uh, we'll get that on the uh, show on a future episode. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break before we come back and read a bunch of listener feedback. And of course, holy crap, did you see that moments? Um, to thank our sponsors. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll be right back. Stick around. For you, the listeners of The Talking Dead, Audible is offering a free audiobook download and a free 30-day trial so you have a chance to check out their service. We have a book recommendation from a listener this weekend. Cool. Jason. This comes from Andy. He says, I thought I'd throw in an Audible recommendation for The Passage or its sequel, The Twelve, both by Justin Cronin. It's very similar to The Stand, if The Stand had crazy, mutated vampires. Wow. So, I haven't read The Stand, but this this sounds extremely interesting, because, you know, crazy, mutated vampires are good, and I know Stephen King, who wrote The Stand. Sorry, I listened to The Stand on Audible. Well, there you go. Yeah. I think you've recommended The Stand, too. I believe so. So It was great. There you go. So, uh, this is going to be like that, The Passage or The Twelve by Justin Cronin. Hmm. Uh, thank you, Andy, for that recommendation. I have a quick recommendation, too, if cool. you're looking for another book. I saw a movie um, a number of years ago called Everything is Illuminated. Uh-huh. starred Elijah Wood and a few other people. And uh, it, of course, is based on a book, and I've recently started listening to that book from Audible. And it's fantastic. Good. It's, it's a really funny story about a guy who travels to Europe searching for information about his past and his family and heritage. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a character in it that is a Ukrainian uh, guy that essentially acts as the tour guide for this American back, you know, in the homeland looking for his family or his ancestry. Right. And this character is so funny in the way he uses broken English that I can't help but sometimes laugh out loud on the subway as I'm riding along listening to this book. Oh, good. Crazy person on the subway. Crazy person. So if you don't mind looking like a crazy jackass listening Mm -hmm. to a book... This might be the one for you. Everything is illuminated by Jonathan Safran Four. To get one of those or any other free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash talking dead. That's audibletrial.com slash talking dead for your free audiobook. Looking for 
Listener feedback. Okay, we got some good listener feedback here. Um, the first uh, bunch of emails and nope, just emails is about the Suicide King. The first episode back. Right. This comes from Shannon. She said, um, "You said he was being super mistrustful, mistrustful, and that is probably true." Talking about Rick, but I also think he simply doesn't want the added pressure of more people. He will be feel bound to protect. At some point, he says something like, I can't be responsible, before Tyrese cuts him off and tells him if he sends them away, he will be responsible for their deaths. I think he saw Lori not only because the general stress of the situation is too much for him, but also because she is the ultimate symbol of what he sees as his failure to protect the people under his care. Right. So we were talking about just Rick being super mistrustful, not letting anyone, you know, even approach sort of joining their group. Right. And uh, Shannon's just kind of explaining it there because he sees himself as a failure as a leader, more or less, and he just can't take on any more responsibility. Well, that makes sense. I think so, too. Um, but at the same time, I think you got to sometimes realize that, uh, you, you know, you could use the extra backup, right. as Herschel was saying. Greg from the Internet writes in, uh, while most may have regarded the scene in which loud-mouthed, over-the-top Merle gets pistol-whipped into unconsciousness as fairly routine, this scene was a reprise of the only other major encounter between Rick and Merle. In Episode 2, Season 1, Guts, atop uh, on the Atlanta office building, Merle's menacing diarrhea of the mouth was cured by the butt of Rick's gun. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so they've they've come together twice, and both times... Rick pistol whipped him. Yep. There Ouch. you go. I never, ever want to be pistol whipped. Oh, I'm sure it does not feel nice. I'm just throwing that out there. Yeah, well, luckily I don't own any pistols. So I also, just for the record, never, ever want to go back to the 1600s and get syphilis. <laughs> are those two things mutually exclusive, or are they somehow related? Uh, no, they're not related. I'm just, this is the things that, it, uh, you know, it's on my, my temporal directives. I never want to travel through time if... I have to go back to the 1600s and get syphilis and getting hit by things. Pistol whipped is right up there. All right. Very good. Temporal, I'd rather eat. <laughs> temporal directives. That's the first time I've heard that. Yeah. But very good. I've got a few of them. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Time travel can be dangerous. Oh, it guarantees to be dangerous, I yeah. think. But, you know, I just simply, if I end up going back to the 1600s, uh, don't sleep with anybody. It's that simple. Maybe don't drink the water either. Yeah. Drink beer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Yeah. All right, Fetz from L.A. writes in, and this is about the um, about Rick and Maggie shooting innocent people uh, at the beginning of last week's episode, right. just gunning into a crowd of innocent people. We had a few people write in about this, but Fetz had this to say. Watch the assault again. Haley was shot dead, but she was not an innocent civilian. She was an armed hostile as far as Rick and the crew were concerned. Sure, it seemed as if they were shooting sporadically, but they weren't. They were targeting armed hostiles, zombies, and light sources. No innocent civilians were harmed. What else could they have done? Whip out a white flag and ask to parlay? 
I don't buy into the idea that anyone can perceive Rick and his crew to be as bad and evil as the governor and his henchmen. Sure, Rick has killed a lot of people to protect his own, but you cannot tell me that none of the people Rick has killed didn't have it coming. Tomas, anyone. Rick's, Rick and his gang aren't going around with white flags, intentionally murdering people for their resources, killing others out of fear of retribution, or deceiving anyone to gain their trust. They still cling to their unyielding sense of morality in a world that has none. I don't believe you can argue that they are anything but good people. All right. Has uh, has Fetz ter- changed your mind at all? Uh, except for the one shot of Maggie behind the dumpster, whatever she was behind, just firing, uh, you know, bursts of gunfire and looking like, you know, fire, change aim a little bit, fire again, change aim a little bit, fire again. It it seemed a little indiscriminate to me. It didn't seem like she was uh, taking careful aim at certain zombies or light sources or anything like that. It was all uh, small bursts of fire from what I remember. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, but to be fair, we don't, we don't see her targets. It just feels like she's shooting indiscriminately. And, you know, the whole scene, even watching it again, I mean, obviously they are shooting lights. They are shooting uh, Haley, who was holding an assault weapon of some kind, um, and I guess some zombies. It does still, it did still feel to me like it was just a, you know, it was a fairly dark area, even though the lights were on. Yeah. They did throw a smoke bomb, so they couldn't really see what was going on, and they were still just firing into the crowd, even if they were trying to aim for, you know, specific targets. Right. So I can see Fett's point. Like I can see it too, definitely. It can totally see his point. I mean, they weren't just you know spraying gunfire across the crowd, taking out as many people as they could. They they, they definitely weren't doing that, right? As opposed to what the governor was doing in this episode. Yes, that's exactly what he was doing in this thing. Yeah. Now people were more spread out. It was daylight and there was no smoke. But I mean, he was there to kill those people, yeah. right? Um, uh, Rick and Maggie were there to rescue their man not necessarily kill the people of Woodbury. So, you know, I can see his point. It did feel still a little random to me, but I've come down off that ledge a little bit. Yeah, and I would agree with that. I just, I can't resolve the uh, the shot of her firing from behind that uh, dumpster. Right, okay. Um, thank you, Fetz, for that. Uh, okay, so a couple of emails for this episode. The Shark Princess writes in, interesting name, mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I was so, uh, oh, this is about the tattoos. I was so upset at the major, major continuity slip up tonight when Merle pushed Daryl to the ground and tore his shirt. It's very clear his tattoos were on the right side of his back. The next shot, we see him walking away and the tattoos have switched to the left side. I'm not usually a nitpicker, but it ruined the scene for me as it was extremely distracting. Kind of agree. I, I was agree. like, what, what do you mean kind of? You agree? Oh, I do. I was yeah. like, what the hell? They're on the other side. Chris in the UK sends an, e- sends an email. Wasn't Merle actually playing it really cleverly? He made it almost impossible for the group to accept him, forcing Daryl into the decision that they should go it alone. Watch Merle's face at the end of that scene. He got precisely what he wanted. We saw glimpses today that confirmed that there's more to Merle than straightforward redneck. The guy's no fool, and he's not incapable of feeling compassion, maybe even guilt. Right. So he... Chris here is trying to say that Merle is, you know, playing people, you know, not necessarily for any other um, purpose than his own gain. Right. But he is manipulating the people around him. True. I thought that was very interesting. So he may want actually to go to the prison because he thinks it is somewhere they should go and maybe, you know, rather than wandering around the forest. Yeah. Now he has his in. He saved Rick with some rebar. 
<laughs> that's right. You got to, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll change Rick's mind. But I doubt it. Right. Rick is steadfast. All right. Thanks to everyone that wrote in. Now it's time for this. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. So we got a bunch of holy craps. Did you see that? Danny from the internet writes in, and this one is about the episode Made to Suffer, which was the mid-season finale, but it's so good that I had to read it here. He writes, hi, guys. Did anyone notice that during the build-up to the cliffhanger in Made to Suffer, the governor's eye patch seemed to be clean? Then the next shot of him saw it turn to bloody uh, saw it saw it turn bloody as he started to rage and accuse Merle of helping the attack. First, I thought this was continuity error, yeah. but seconds later, I realized that it was a great directorial tool to underline the change in his character. So I went back and watched this scene. It's super awesome. I never noticed it before, but yeah. basically, he's standing there giving his speech. His eye patch is all clean, yep. and at the moment he talks and accuses Merle, you see the blood start seeping through it. Oh yeah, like his his eye socket is just bleeding, right. and uh, you know it's it's not it's probably just bleeding because it's a horrible eye injury, and uh, right. that's it. But it really does sort of underline the ruthlessness of him. Like he's sort of squeaky clean, and then he's accusing Merle of being a traitor, and he's you know he's raging against him. Yep, thought it was really really cool, and that something cool. I something I really didn't notice before. So that was awesome. Aaron from Syracuse writes in about the Suicide King. Early in the episode, when Herschel stood up, grabbed his crutches, and his phantom leg lifted up the back of his cut-off pants. I'm guessing he needed to lift it up so he could use the crutches, and nobody noticed that his pant leg was long enough to betray the presence of an actual limb, no doubt covered in a green uh, stocking for ease of digital erasing. Right. So his pants were flapping where they shouldn't been, I think. Oh, well. But, you know, what can you do? Uh, he shouldn't be out of bed yet anyway. No, he should not be. He should be Hobbling lying in around. bed. <laughs> Jumping downstairs, running down to the down to the field. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. Jason from Pennsylvania sent in this call or called in with this message. Cool. Hey, guys. This is Jason from Western Pennsylvania. Just calling in with a holy crap, did you see that kind of moment. Um, I'm a little behind on, on the watchings. But I don't know if you guys noticed from the last episode when the governor was listing off the names that one of the names he uh, that he had said was Heisenberg. Didn't know if you'd caught that. Definitely a big time uh, Breaking Bad reference right there. Um, just wanted to share that with you guys. Thanks for what you're doing. Thanks for putting out the podcast. I find it enjoyable and plenty of infotainment um, every week as I listen in. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you, Jason. So I went back and listened to the names that the governor listed, and he says, to me, it sounded more like Eisenberg, not right. Heisenberg. Um, but either way, it's pretty close, and it's not the first time they've made a Breaking Bad reference on this show, so it could be something they did again. Awesome. Yeah, pretty cool. Cindy also emailed that one in, just uh, so everyone knows. Cool. Heisenberg. David from the internet writes in, uh, after Rick's group saves Daryl and his brother, how the governor is walking through the smoke and the walker comes out of nowhere and he shoots it like it's nothing. Yep. Thought that was a pretty cool scene. Again, governor doesn't give a crap. He does. He just walks around indiscriminately firing. He's the one that indiscriminately fires. Yes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and David from California, also a different David, he writes in and so did a, uh, so did a bunch of people send this one in. 
And he says, in the episode when Rick and Daryl are saying their goodbyes, if you look into the woods just behind the actors, you can see a couple of zombies heading their way. What starts out as one quickly turns to two and maybe a third. I'm interested in your thoughts as to why the director would find it necessary to have zombies in that scene if they weren't going to attack or even draw any attention from the actors. Hmm. Well, I can I can tell you. Okay. It's just to underline the fact to me that these people are no longer really that afraid of the zombies, at least in small numbers. Yep. And when they're somewhat far away. That's true. Not really. Zombies aren't really a problem. It's the living that are the problem. And uh, there are zombies in, you know, it seems to me like in these scenes that don't really involve any action or anything, there are zombies in the majority of the background scenes now, whereas there weren't earlier on in like season two and season one. Right. We see them sort of hanging around a lot more now, but they're just not as big of a threat. So I think that's what they were trying to do, but also cool that they're paying attention to those sorts of details. Right. Uh, All right. I have a call here from John in Chicago. Hey, Chris and Jason. It's John from Chicago. Um, I was going to give you my holy crap, did you see that moment? It was uh, when Daryl ended up slamming the zombie's head in the back of that Subaru. And uh, I turned to my wife and I said, well, that's a car with a lot of headroom. She didn't really appreciate the humor, um, but I did, and that's really all that matters. So, uh, yeah, keep up the good work, and I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. There you go. That's our, uh, you know, gore moment of the episode, pretty much. Yeah. It's a car with a lot of headroom. It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> or lack of headroom. <laughs> um, thank you, John, from that. A bunch of people also sent that one in. Of course, it's a good choice. Uh, Jennifer from Illinois writes in, My holy crap, did you see that? Revolved around the so-called Walker bomb at the end of the episode. First off, was that a clown car? (laughs) Personally, I've never tried to see how many zombies I could stuff in the back of a truck, but it looked like a whole lot more came out than the truck could reasonably fit. (laughs) Second, what was the point? If Rick and his group were able to clear them out of the whole... Clear the whole prison out from walkers, how much trouble would one truck load really cause them? Well, he doesn't know that. Uh, well, no, the, the the governor does know that. Oh, yeah, because he said it was. They had looked at it before, and it was full of walkers, and it was overrun. But these people managed to clear it out. Um, I think the point was that they were going to release walkers while they were shooting at them in the middle of this big attack, right? Which just makes it more difficult for the people inside the prison. But all they did was release the walkers and then leave. Uh, yeah, they, they didn't press the attack or like ha ha ha. Maybe it was a clown car. I think it was a joke. <laughs> it's just sending in a joke. See, I gave you a package. This will be hilarious. This, wasn't that funny? Yeah, exactly. I shot you a whole bunch of times and then released a bunch of walkers and then left. I had my little gag. Have fun with that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I suppose. But it does just make it that more hairy, that much more hairy in yeah. the moment. I think that's Add it to the chaos. For. Absolutely. Um. David from North Carolina writes, Seconds after Axel's death, Carol has to use his body to shield herself from incoming fire. This is a holy crap moment because I think Carol was just starting to see him as someone who could take over the role in her life that Daryl had previously occupied. Mm-hmm. Poor Axel, he's gone. Um, uh, yep, tattoos changed. We had a few people write that one in too. Rayanne from New Zealand and uh, Luke from London and Aaron from Hawaii. And uh, I've got one. I've got a good holy crap this week. What's that? Right near the end there, after Glenn picks up um, Herschel yep. in the truck, yep. and the fight's over, governor's left, Glenn drives back into sort of the inner courtyard, yep. whatever you call that, 
and uh, he comes extremely close to me. It looked like running over Axel's body. <laughs> <laughs> He's coming through the gate. Axel's body is lying there, just you know, black uh, clothed body on the ground. Right. And the truck comes right up to him and then stops before he runs him over. And I'm like, wouldn't that have just added insult to injury? <laughs> that uh, he's shot in the head just as becoming a nice guy, and then Glenn runs him over. Right. Kind of a huge bummer. Yeah. Uh, anything from uh, your end? Well, I had one, but the listener, uh, I forget his name, took it. When Carol uh, grabbed uh, Axel's body and used him as, as a shield. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. It's like, smart. I Carol's mean, getting awesome. Yeah, I, I do like Carol. I mean, she's she's been really cool lately, but, um, I mean, he's dead anyways, so why not use well, yeah. it for cover? We've seen that in action movies before. Meat shield? People use meat shields. Yeah. You know, they use them for cover when they're in a firefight. <laughs> Yeah. Makes sense to me. I suppose. I mean, if the person's dead anyway. If they're still alive, not so cool. It just shows that she's thinking on her feet. She's not letting emotion cloud her judgment. She's doing what she needs to do. Yep. And uh, sure, this was a nice guy, and uh, I'm sure he would want to shield me from these bullets after he died. Yeah, probably he would. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And you know what? It was a nice uh, callback to the governor asking uh, Milton if he'd take a bullet for him. Right. Sort of. Yeah. Different people, but, you know, he had to take a bullet for Carol. Yep. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> um, but how close did Carol come to being the one who was shot in the head to start the whole thing off? Yep. She was right there. She was. wonder why the governor chose Axel and not her. Uh, I, I guess, uh, well, two things. One, he's probably the bigger threat in his mind, in the governor's mind. Right. Uh, and two... Um, you know, I hearken back to what was the Unforgiven? You ever watch uh, Unforgiven with Oh, a uh, long time ago. Long time ago. Uh it was always they were talking about uh I think it was Gene Hackman was asking asking him, you know, well, how do you choose who do you shoot first? Uh-huh. He's like, "Well, I've always been lucky when it comes to killing." <laughs> <laughs> so, maybe the governor's just lucky. He just chose, you know, that particular guy at that particular time. And uh, he accomplished his goal of just uh, sending in a uh, a shoot 'em up zombie joke. Because what really did he accomplish? Killed one guy. Yep, killed one guy and put more zombies into the prison. Yeah, which he should have known is not a big deal. Like one, if he could have dumped you know five hundred in there somehow. Yeah, that's different. One truckload, not so much. A couple of uh, broke a couple of gates. Actually, that's a big thing. Those gates are down now. There's Those are no the outer protection. gates, but there's the inner gate. They still closed the inner gate. There is, but that's a lot of space to lose. I mean, yeah. they were they were going to use those fields to grow food, oh, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. It's a bummer, but it doesn't. He didn't. I don't think the governor actually accomplished anything than showing his, uh, you know, uh, we're not going to lie down, and that's it. That's probably what he was going for, though. But why not press the situation? Well, he didn't bring very many people. He, we we sort of know that the governor does not have a large army. He's got a whole bunch of civilians and two or three guys that are good with the weapons. Yeah, but he's also, uh, you know, he we've there's a military base that he's raided, right? Well, he has a lot of weapons. Yeah, but, but not he, no people to use. Does them. he have mortars? Oh, a mortar know. attack on the prison would have been tremendously devastating. Uh, what do you need to to execute that kind of attack? Uh, a mortar and a bomb, I think. Well, I have no experience with mortars whatsoever you, other than what I've seen on TV and movies. How do you propel it? Like, is it shot out of a tank? Oh, no, it's, there's a, a, a tube right, yeah. that sits on the ground that goes at like a 60-degree angle. Or okay. And then you take the mortar bomb and you drop it into the uh, into the tube. There's a pin at the bottom of the tube that hits the uh, 
uh, an area okay. on the mortar that propels it forward, and then when it lands, it explodes. Right. So you don't need any like heavy. It is heavy artillery, but you don't need anything, you know, that you couldn't bring in a pickup truck to shoot it. Right. Okay. Usually mortars are man portable. You get two guys. One of them carries the plate on the what it sits on, right. and the other one carries the actual mortar, and then you have somebody carrying a bunch of bombs. Well, in theory, he might have that kind of stuff because he did, you know. This is what I'm saying. Right. If if he raided a military base, he might have a couple of mortars or a grenade here and there. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, do a little more damage than just. Uh, you know, playing a practical joke on the uh, on the prison. <laughs> I still think taking out the the fences was probably worth the time. Right. I mean, those fences. You know, if he can't get in there, those fences are pretty helpful in them defending that place. And if they're down now, well, he can walk in anytime he wants. Right. You know, with <laughs> probably not easily, but with slightly more ease than he would have before. Right. So. But yeah, you're right. He didn't seem to accomplish all that much, even though it was a pretty entertaining scene to watch. Yeah, you know, I liked how everyone was spread out, and and uh, but they were yet they were all involved in it somehow, right? Yeah, start start a fire. Good. Why not start a fire? Throw a flaming cannonball in there. A Molotov cocktail. Actually, He's got alcohol. He's got a rag. He might even have a match. <laughs> he might. <laughs> That's a pretty good idea, too, actually. Yeah. Burn the place. But maybe he wants to try and take the place over and not just burn it down. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? Starting a fire would be good, too, yeah. even if it was just amongst the grass in the field, you know? Well, you see, I think the uh, now that they've given uh, the people at the prison the truck, so now they have access to a zombie bomb, right? Uh-huh. The truck is fine. There's nothing wrong with the truck. No, that's true. It's they even got gas. They they just gave them that truck. They gave them the truck. Okay, so this gives them a, an, an opportunity to, you know, give back. They re-gift this present back to the uh, to the governor. That reminds me. Did you think at any time the truck was just going to explode? No. I thought they were going to drive it in there and it would explode. And no, it would just be basically a, a bomb. huge ramp at the bottom. I thought that the guys uh, on motorbikes would come out of there with shotguns. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something ridiculous. This isn't a James Bond movie. I know, but it looked—it was obviously a ramp that was going to come down. I knew it was a ramp. Guys on motor. I thought ATVs, something was going to come out of there, and they would have to be driving around on motorbikes, and they'd have to shoot these guys, and I figured it'd be some kind of weird thing. Uh, you know, zombies makes much more sense now that I look back on it. Yeah, they wouldn't do something as, as ridiculous as that. Yeah. That ramp would not have been there if the thing was going to explode at no point that I think that this thing was a bomb. But see, even when, well, people are calling it the zombie bomb. Well, yes, but it's not right. an explosive. Uh, okay, but before the ramp came down, there was a, a little pause, and yeah. I was like, that thing's going to explode. No. But then I thought, like, what's the point of that? I mean, it's not close enough to the... Uh, building to do any real damage yeah. it's just going to blow up in the middle of the field and maybe start a fire yeah i thought maybe aliens would come out of there yes a lich so. on a dinosaur <laughs> hey the lich is back yeah <laughs> uh maybe the guy or the, the person driving the truck had to go into the back and pull the lever so the ramp would come down and he had to you know tussle with some of the zombies so that's why it took so long or he was told to pause for dramatic effect yeah and that worked i'll give them that that yeah. seemed to be pretty good all right. Well, anyways, if you've got any other thoughts on any of this stuff and, you know, maybe something that the governor achieved that we're missing, give us a call. You can call our Zomb line at 1-866-483-ZOMB. That's 866-483-9662. Open most of the time. Open most of the time. It will be closed for two hours every Sunday night just to avoid people being confused. 
Um, but any other time, give it a call. You can also uh, email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash talking dead. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. We will be back next week when we uh, recap and discuss I Ain't a Judas. I think mm-hmm. that's what next week's is called, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. If if you remember. Yep. Um, which, you know, there's could very well be that I don't, but I think that's what it is. That's what it says on IMDb. Perfect. Good thing you're here. Yep. Uh, that will be on next Sunday, of course, and we will be recording next Monday. Next Sunday's the Oscars, too, so people, make sure you watch The Walking Dead. Don't watch the Oscars. Don't watch the Oscars. No. Take a break from the Oscars for an hour to watch The Walking yeah. Dead on Sunday at 9. Right. Uh, all right. For The Talking Dead, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening, everybody. Ciao.